He's always been in my life and always helping me. Because he died on the cross for us. Just how he's always there with you, and that even through the hard times, he'll still be with you. For me, he kind of reveals, like, relieves me of all my anxiety and my stress. And like, I pray to him, and it's just, he's there for me whenever I need him. And all of the times in my life that maybe I've struggled with, he's been there so I can lean on him, and I can really have that one person that's always there to trust him. He keeps me going. He's very respectful, and he wants me to be a good kid. Um, my favorite thing about him is that he's all forgiving. Uh, because he helps people like he's yours. One of the biggest things that have made me believe in him was my friend's mom had uh, breast cancer when we were growing, like when we were younger, and she uh, she pulled through and she made it out of that. So that was like a big step for me. And her family is um, religious, and it was really nice to see her come out of it because he and I were really close. Because he helps me when I need it. That he died for our sins, so we could all be safe. Um, how he loves everyone no matter what and how he's so forgiving. Uh, like the motivation he can put in people. Yeah, just that he likes people, loves everybody. <laughs> he can do miracles and nobody else can. He makes people. Um, that he saved our sins and he was willing to die on the cross. God just really helps me feel more connected to everybody and knowing that some people don't know God and um, sharing it at school with some people who don't know God, it just, it makes everything kind of fall a little bit more into place. His power is loving and I like to love people. I love that Jesus is died on the cross for us because he, it would have taken a lot of willpower to do that. If I would have done that, I would have been like, I would have taken one look at that cross and said, nope, I'm out of here. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Hope. It is so good to be here. Uh, we are in week two of our four-week giving campaign, Building to a Hope Beyond. Our hope is that we'll be able to expand our facility here by about 20,000 square feet heading out to the west. Uh, if you wonder why do we need to do something like that, uh, when you get bored in the sermon, go downstairs <laughs> and look at how full Hope Kids is this morning. It's even more packed than we are up here. We should have daylight savings time every weekend, I think. <laughs> this is fantastic. Great to see you. Or you could just go to bed an hour earlier. And then, Anyway, uh, last week, uh, Pastor Eli uh, preached a message called A Generation Beyond. A Generation Beyond, looking at the importance of doing ministry that impacts every generation, but also how do we be a people, how do we be a congregation that leaves a uh, lasting legacy for the generations to come? Uh, particularly, how do we do ministry in this context, in Ankeny, where there's so many young families? How does youth and family ministry happen in such a way that we're connecting children and students to this amazing love of God? Today, uh, the sermon is called A Faith Beyond a Doubt. A Faith Beyond a Doubt. And so we had the production team go around and ask kids and students, why do you believe in God? Why do you have faith in God? And weren't those answers just fantastic? I'm so excited about what God is up to in the lives of our young people. Uh, for the last two weeks, I was on Mission South Africa. And if you would have asked the 20 hopesters who went on that trip before we went to Africa, why do you have faith in God? And then you would have asked us again after uh, our experience there, why do you have faith in God? I think you would have gotten two 
uh, relatively different kinds of responses. It was an absolutely faith-building experience, uh, the 12 days that we had uh, in Africa. And how could it not be? I mean, when you're in a different part of the world, uh, when you're in a part of the world where the people do not have a whole lot in terms of wealth or material possessions, but they are very rich when it comes to really important things like joy and like hope. And then you see the faith that they exhibit in the midst of the circumstances in which they're living their lives. It's a very humbling experience, and it's a very faith-building experience. So in Africa the last two weekends, part of what that means is we worshiped at African churches. And, you know, even though you have an extra hour of sleep, there's a lot more spirit and exuberance in an African worship service than there is in an American Lutheran worship service. Uh, as Pastor Mike likes to remind us, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is Lutheran. And so we just, we just roll with that, right? Uh, one of the cool things that happens in, in an African worship service, whoever it is that's up front, could be a volunteer, could be uh, the pastor, they have this call and response thing with the congregation. So maybe somebody's welcoming the congregation to worship and they say, it is nice to be here. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. And whenever whoever's up front says hallelujah, the congregation immediately yells back, amen. So you think we should try that today? I think we should. So it is good to be here. It's good to give honor and praise to God. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Very good. And I might do that occasionally throughout the service. And so just, just be ready. Uh, Faith Beyond a Doubt. There are two books in the New Testament written by a guy named Luke. And both of these books, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, Luke begins right away by telling us, here's who I'm writing the, these books for, these letters for. And it's some guy in his life named Theophilus. Luke 1 verse 3 says, Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an account for you, an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. And we don't really know with certainty who Theophilus was, uh, but there's some clues that help us understand who he might have been. One of the clues is this phrase, most honorable Theophilus. It occurs in other places in the New Testament, always in reference to a Roman official. And so part of what that tells us, if Theophilus is a Roman official, he has power, he has authority. It also tells us he's an outsider to the faith of the people of Israel. He's a Gentile. And so he's heard about this Jesus guy. He's heard stories about him. He's heard people talking about Jesus, and he has questions. Theophilus has, you might say, doubts. And he's hoping that Luke might be able to help him uh, get to a place where he knows what to believe about Jesus. Luke was also a Gentile. He shows up in the scriptures as a companion of Paul. As Paul's going around the Roman Empire on his missionary journeys, Luke is kind of the guy who opens doors for Paul to get into these places, to have conversations with people in different towns and communities and villages uh, to spread the gospel and to, and to grow the church. And so Luke, as far as we know, never had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. But here's a guy who never met Jesus writing an account about Jesus so that another guy who never met Jesus can know what to believe about Jesus. Why would Luke do this? Well, he tells us in the next verse, verse 4, let's read this out loud together. So you can know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, the reliability of what you were taught. Luke wants his friend Theophilus to have a faith beyond a doubt. As a pastor of a church, a pastor of this congregation, that would be one of my hopes and prayers too, that you might have a faith beyond a doubt. 
And don't misunderstand me, that, that's not the same thing as saying it's a bad thing for you to have doubts, it's a bad thing for you have, to have questions. Uh, part of what I think we should get out of Luke beginning his gospel this way is he's welcoming doubts. He's welcoming questions. Everybody's going to have them. I would love to have a sign out on 36th Street that says, Lutheran Church of Hope, doubters welcome. Because I think so many times in life, we, we get to this place where our, our, our belief is everybody else has it figured out. I'm the only one with questions. I'm the only one with doubts. Everybody else has a faith that is unshakable no matter what would happen. It's not going to cause them to question or to doubt, and that's just not true. Every one of us, we go through these times, these seasons in our lives where I don't even know what I believe. And we need people to help us get to this place where we explore uh, answers and we built this place to be a safe place for you to ask those questions that you have about life and about faith. And if we could get honest with that and if we could share our questions and doubts with one another, I think that would help all of us out. So let's just do that. Turn to somebody close to you right now and just tell them, hey, good news, I'm just as clueless as you are. How about that? <laughs> good news, I'm just as clueless as you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. So one of the great blessings and privileges that I have being a pastor, I do get to hear a lot of your stories. I get to hear what God's been up to in your life, the, the questions and the doubts that you have, yes, but also here's what God's been up to helping your faith grow, answering some of your questions, making things start to uh, come a little more clear for you. At Hope, we like to say we're better together, and that's part of what we mean when we say that. Let's share our stories questions and doubts, but also here's how God's helping me. Here's how my faith is growing. As we share those stories with one another, it builds up the whole thing. It encourages all of us to get to a place where our, our faith is healthier and, and growing. And so today you're going to get some hope stories. Some of them are from people who went on Mission South Africa, and some of them are going to be from Trevor Riedemann. Trevor's been around Hope for quite a while. You see him sometimes playing guitar with the worship team or sometimes serving on the production team and playing with all of that equipment. Uh, he's also one of our volunteer photographers who kind of takes pictures to help us you know, look back on the history of what God's been up to in this place. And so I sat down with Trevor several uh, weeks ago now, and just asked him to talk a little bit about his faith, and I hope his story will be an encouragement to you. Take a look. My name is Trevor Riedemann. I've been a member of Hope for quite a while, but we started attending uh, Hope in Ankeny when they were providing the services in the cafeteria at the middle school. I actually work for a, a government research laboratory, but it's on Iowa State's campus. Primarily my job for many years is the preparation of high purity, rare earth or lanthanide metals that we make available to researchers that need these high purity materials to look for new materials that are in things like your, your cell phone or your car or your power tools or in your paint. And so we provide those as a service. Also working on research projects most fun research project I ever worked on, we created materials that are actually in space. They went up on the Planck mission vehicle and they remapped the background radiation of the universe to even higher precision so that it can look further back in time at the origins of the universe. And there are small projects we contribute on to them in little ways that knowing that they've successfully nibbled away at the frontier of knowledge with your assistance is what makes it kind of fun. When it comes to looking at things scientifically, I'm a metallurgist. Everyone thinks a bar of steel is a bar of steel, when it's not. The amount of carbon that's in there changes the property. It's either your cast iron stove or it's your high quality metal part on your bike. Two very different things in how it's put 
amount of carbon determines how that happens. Your ring, it's just a solid piece. No, it's not. It's a solid, it's a collection of solid pieces bound together. It's grains, it's atoms that are joined, and then those clumps of atoms join other clumps of atoms, and it can be shaped and formed. So that even though it may seem like one whole piece, there's billions upon billions upon billions of atoms, and they're clinging together for various, under different forces, holding it together. That's wondrous. I don't know how you can look at those things and not go, wow, this is an amazing place to be. Wow, this is an amazing place to be. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, I, I think we want to be in a place in life where we can shout back amen after a statement like that, but we're not always there, are we? I mean, life is hard, and life is full of challenges and obstacles, and, and there are times when we hear somebody say, wow, this is an amazing place to be, and we just kind of roll our eyes. When, when's the last time you were really in that kind of a place? Just overwhelmed by how big and beautiful and good this world is, this life is, that God has created for us to enjoy. And you found yourself just thinking this was the mindset that was overcoming you. Wow, this is an amazing place to be. Uh, for me, it was Friday night. We had a prayer and praise night here at, at Hope Ankeny, and uh, the worship team, production team, prayer team put together about a 90-minute service for us to just soak in the presence of God. And at one point in that service, we were singing a song called Holy Spirit, and the lyrics are, let us become more aware of your presence, let us experience the glory of your goodness. And it was just like God's Spirit was washing over me, telling me what a good and beautiful life this is. When's the last time you had a moment like that? We had a lot of moments like that on Mission South Africa. I would, I would think probably pretty much every day I could pinpoint a moment like that, just overwhelmed with what God was up to. It started on the first day when we were traveling over there. We took a flight from Des Moines to Atlanta, had about a six-hour layover before the 15-hour flight uh, from Atlanta to Johannesburg. And in the uh, six-hour layover, I started talking to another guy who was on our flight. His name was Rowan Bonnet, a preacher from Jamaica, and he was going to Johannesburg for a church conference, and so we had a little bit to talk about. And I was telling him about our church and about uh, the mission trip that our team was going on. He was telling me about his church and his hopes and dreams for what God might do in his country of Jamaica, and Rowan was this really passionate articulate guy and as he spoke he got more and more excited about the possibilities and the vision and he got to a point where he says we must yearn for something stronger and deeper I'm telling you there's more and he's got this thick Jamaican accent it was awesome and I wrote it down because I was like I think God has something in this for me if it's been a while for you since you've been able to say wow this is an amazing place to be maybe it's time for you to start yearning for something stronger something deeper our giving campaign is called Building to a Hope Beyond, and I just want to remind you again, it's a giving campaign. It's not a building campaign. It's not a capital campaign. It's a giving campaign, and at Hope, that means we have three goals, to gather, to grow, and to give. It really means those first two goals are the primary thing we're going to be focusing on during the course of this campaign. We want to gather and we want to grow, and, and as you've been uh, seeing in uh, Facebook posts, social media posts, announcements that we have here, there's all kinds of opportunities for you over the course of this campaign to gather together. Uh, we have open houses. I got a real sweet note from someone who was hosting an open house. Uh, they had it on Friday night, and she was just like, man, it was so awesome. We had, uh, I don't know, five or six people come over, and we shared our hope stories, and we got to know each other, and it was just this neat, neat time of being together, and really, that's 
the primary purpose of those. We just want you to be together. Get to know some people from this congregation. We'll give you information about the campaign as well, but it's gathering and growing. There's opportunities coming up throughout the course of the next two weeks for that. I really want to highlight next Sunday, a week from today, uh, 5 o'clock p.m., we're having a celebration, and we're just going to throw a party because there ain't no party like a Jesus party. Hallelujah. And we're going to throw a party just to praise God for all the good things God has been doing in this congregation. Even before anybody gives assent to the campaign, we want to thank God and in, in filled with gratitude and celebration what God is up to here. So mark your calendars. You're going to have FOMO, fear of missing out if you don't come. A lot of people, a lot of people have been putting a lot of work in making it. It's going to be an awesome party, and so I hope that you can come gather together, and, and we want to grow, and then we think the giving is going to take care of itself. Uh, too many churches get this backwards, and a lot of churches don't carry the name of Jesus well when it comes to money and finances. Instead, we, we start and we end, and it's always about money at, at too many churches, and, and it comes from this fear-based scarcity kind of mindset. If you don't give, then kids are going to starve in Africa kind of thing, and it's just guilt, 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 and we don't believe giving flows out of guilt. Giving flows out of who we are. And at this church, our vision, who we think God wants us to be, spirited, growing, and Christ-centered. As we become who God wants us to be, the giving will just take care of itself in God's way and in God's time. And so our primary focus is how do we become the people, the community that God wants us to be. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Uh, where does giving come from? How does it flow out of who we are? Who do we need to be in order for giving to be a big part of who we are? That'll be for next week. I was thinking about these words from Rowan, we must yearn for something stronger and deeper, and I was thinking, what if we actually turned that into a prayer? And for the next two weeks of this campaign, what if you took a minute or two every day to just pray this as a prayer? And so let's do it right now. Pray this with me. Lord, I believe you have something more for me. Please give me a deeper and stronger faith. Took some time to pray that for yourself. Took some time to pray that for your marriage, your family, for this congregation. Lord, we believe you have something more for us. Give us a deeper and stronger faith, please. We, we're calling this campaign Building to a Hope Beyond. And one of the reasons we kind of latched onto that phrase is we absolutely believe God has something more for us. And the something more that God has for us has everything to do with love, a stronger and deeper love for us to know and to experience and to share than we've known up to this point in our life. And one of the things we got to do on Mission South Africa was optical outreaches. And so uh, our mission partner when we go on Mission South Africa is Blessman International, started by Doc Blessman. He was a pain doctor here in the Des Moines area, living in Ankeny for uh, many, many, many years. And then 14 years ago, got called into the mission field, started this organization, and he's been building relationships with uh, civic leaders, community leaders, uh, teachers, schools, churches for the last 14 years. And, and one of the ways we build those relationships, the teams come in and Doc trains us to be amateur optometrists and we go to churches and schools and we uh, do these vision screens, vision tests and see if there's a pair of glasses that might be helpful to them. And he trains us to do that in about an hour. But the primary thing he focuses on when we're doing the training is some people might get glasses and that's great, but most people are not going to need glasses. Everybody that you see, however, you can build a relationship with them. You can get to know their story. Talk to them, listen to them, laugh with them, cry with them, pray with them. 
And so that's what we were trained to do. Here's a picture of our first optical outreach. Uh, we were nervous. We didn't really know what we were doing. There's language barriers. Here's Michael Zweigert. Michael and his teenage daughter, a high schooler, Kaylee, came with us. Uh, they attend the West Des Moines campus. Here's an interpreter because sometimes we needed an interpreter to help us figure out what we were doing. But most of the students knew English remarkably well. Uh, we got Jeff Sellers and uh, Todd and Nate Miller and Steve Van Ort. Here's Steve praying for one of his patients. Uh, John Leto giving a pair of glasses to one of his patients. We were figuring it out slowly but surely, but in our uh, nervousness, most of us didn't really spend a whole lot of time getting to know people. We just started saying, which is clearer, A or B, one or two? You know? uh, go to the next slide, and it's Angie Rathman. Angie's on staff here at Hope Ankeny as our connections coordinator. She also went on, on the trip. And uh, this young woman is a 13-year-old girl named Maria. And it was Angie's first encounter uh, with uh, an African person in our, our trip, her first optical patient. And I asked Angie if I could share her experience with Maria. She said, sure, actually wrote uh, a little bit up. And so these are Angie's words. Maria is 13. She was my first optical patient. I was eager to go, greeted her, and started right in on the glasses. Doc was walking by and told me to stop. He sat down and started asking Maria very direct questions like, who do you live with? Do you feel safe? Do you have enough food? Does anyone drink alcohol? The, the village that we were in was called Mokopani. I don't know, 200, 250,000 people. It's kind of a typical town, you know, and there's traffic and that sort of thing. But on Friday nights, everything changes. On Fridays, people get their paycheck. And so on Fridays, every single liquor store is just backed up with traffic as everyone's taking the money they just earned to go and buy liquor so they can drink the weekend away. As he asked Maria questions, she got smaller in her seat, started to get tears in her eyes. I felt very uncomfortable and yet transfixed. Finally, Doc asked her what was on her mind, and she shared she was embarrassed by her school uniform. Doc told me to write down on her glasses card that she needs a uniform. Then he asked her if she had a trusted female to talk to. She said no, and Doc pointed at me and said, you can trust Angie. He asked if he could give her a kiss. Then she came over to me, and we talked for at least 40 minutes. As the time grew longer, she became so light and free. She came alive and very much like an American teenager. She told me that she feels pressure to have sex, that she struggles sleeping at night because of living so close to a tavern. She's afraid to go to the outhouse at night because of snakes. Told me of a classmate boy who slapped her so hard, her head hit a wall, and she had a headache for a few days. She kept talking, but also kept asking if she was wasting my time. I kept saying no. And finally, she told me of her dreams. She wants to be an astronaut, wants to explore space. And I'm telling you, almost every day, almost everyone on our team had an experience like that, where through a course of a conversation uh, with someone, God just blew us away with the kinds of lives and realities these people face, and at the same time, the tremendous deep faith and hope that they have in the midst of all of that. After we got done handing out the glasses at that particular school, we got to meet with the principal. His name was John, and here's a picture of our team. John's the one in the middle with the tie on. That's really the only way you can tell he's not part of our team. And um, 
John uh, was telling us how difficult, what a challenge it is to be a principal of that particular school, that Maria's story is shared by so many people. She's not the only one, only girl in that school who feels pressured to have sex. It's a real big problem in that school. And it, it gets made worse because sometimes the teachers are unable to get to school. All kinds of reasons. Cars break down or, or things that have happen. And so sometimes, and they don't have a real good way of getting substitute teachers, so sometimes all the kids show up at school and there's no teacher and they're unsupervised in their classroom all day long. So he asked me if I'd be willing to speak to the students and uh, try to point them to a, a different kind of way of thinking about life. And I said, sure, I'll try. And so I tried to talk to them about God's great love for them and how whether you're in Africa or America, we get into trouble when we look to something other than God's love to tell us who we are and, and to define us. Got done with that, they went back to class and we had a little more time with John and he pretty much immediately started just weeping, shaking and crying uncontrollably. We gathered around him, put our hands on his shoulders and just prayed for this man that God would give him the strength he needs to continue to serve the students of that school and to point them to something stronger, point them to something deeper, point them to something beyond their current circumstances. This is my second trip to South Africa. Uh, two years ago when I went, I sort of feel like every day I got a little more depressed because you just see the problems and the uh, challenges that they face and, and they are seemingly insurmountable. They're so systemic. There's racism and poverty and abuse, all kinds of abuse and government corruption and what's possibly going to change all this. This time I had a very different kind of attitude. This time I kept being reminded of, of the promise of Scripture with God, all things are possible. This time I kept being pointed to Jesus' words in John chapter 8. Let's put them up on the screen and let's read these together. This is from the message paraphrase of the Bible written by Eugene Peterson. Uh, he died while we were in South Africa. Uh, but this paraphrase of the Scriptures has been really helpful trying to get a lot of people to re-engage with God's Word. So let's read these words of Jesus from John 8, 23. Uh, it's on the screen, read it out loud with me. Jesus said, you're tied down to the mundane. I'm in touch with what is beyond your horizons. You live in terms of what you see and touch. I'm living on other terms. And the longer I follow Jesus, the more convinced I am. Jesus wants us to end most days by saying, wow, this is an amazing place to be. Jesus is constantly inviting us to the place where he is, another world, another dimension, the kingdom of God. He's inviting us to experience and to get in touch with things that are beyond our horizons. And as I was thinking about this, as I was uh, watching this interview that I had with Trevor a couple of weeks ago, Trevor was talking about his love for science, and I felt like he's saying the same thing, that if we can just get the right lens, whether it's for a microscope or a telescope, we can start to see things that we had never seen before. We start to get in touch with things beyond our current reality, our, our current horizons, and then we start to wonder, who is this God that is pushing us to experience and to see and, and to hear and to be a part of something that's beyond what we're currently experiencing. Take a look. I've always been interested in, in, in science. I mean, in high school, I enjoyed chemistry. In fact, I started out as a chemistry major at Iowa State and I discovered it's a lot different in college than it was in high school. I'm gonna go do something easier. So I switched to physics so much easier than chemistry, and the chemists will probably tell you that. And it's just, a way, it's just another way of understanding your world, so you can, you can look at things and you can, what are the rules that 
make this thing operate. So scientists are doing research. Uh, the joke is if it was easy, they just call it search, but you gotta do it over and over and over again to learn something. And it's just fascinating that you can peer into, say, a material and look, look at the object we physically see. If you get a better microscope, you can see how that object's put together at the microscopic level. You get a better microscope, you can actually see how the atoms are put together. You shine the right light at it, you can actually see the structure of that material. That in itself is fascinating. Uh, famous physicist Richard Feynman said, if you don't want to be an astronomer, there's plenty of room at the bottom, which means the microscopic world is amazing, and there's lots of stuff going on there as well. Astronomy is fantastic, and you can see the wonders of the universe with a telescope. You can see the wonders of the universe with a microscope as well, but just learning those rules or how those things operate is pretty fascinating. And I guess I kind of look at learning it this way. You could watch two kids playing a card game that you don't know what they're doing. And if you observe it enough, you can start to ferret out the rules. Oh, this card beats this card, or this combination of cards appears to be a victory, or this combination is a loss. And you do enough observation and pay attention, you can map out the rules for this game without having any instructions from the creator of the game. Sure, we have mathematical models and we can write laws that say this is how this works, but I don't know how you look either through the microscope and see this wonderful zoo of particles that make up all matter that are you and me that came from stardust as the saying would be and then look through a telescope and look at the wondrous galaxies and things or even the hubble deep field images that showed starting 95 that the further we look in space the more there is of it lots of it lots of galaxies and say yep that's it that's all there is there's nothing more it's just the matter that's there I think it would take a lot of faith, others have made this argument, not just me, this is not original, to be an atheist. I can, trust an, I can trust the agnostic position, you just don't know. But to have faith that there's nothing beyond what we currently see seems to me an even bigger jump than to say there must be something more because every time we look for something more, we seem to find something more. What's beyond? What was before creation? What is after, after the universe? expands or collapses what's driving that where did it come from or in other words who created the card game i've mapped out all these rules but where did those rules come from and i believe there is truth and beauty the physicist who came up with the particle theory of, of matter one of them said we had no proof but the theory was so beautiful it had to be true i think when you come to come to faith and looking at spirituality there are things that ring true to you so if you read the New Testament, there are things that just read, ring true. Love your neighbor. Uh, love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Okay, these are good things. Um, help the widows. Put shoe, shoes on the children. These seem to ring true. Uh, they might not be another guy. You don't, you don't get that out of an equation. Should you live this way? Should you not live this way? Seek, you know, seek and you will find. Well, if you're not looking for God, you'll never find God. Can I just tell you, it's a little intimidating to preach sermons to people as smart as Trevor. <laughs> that guy, I mean, we just sat down and he just started rattling it off. It's just like, whoa. If you're not looking, you're never going to find God, he says. Observe, observe. This is what scientists do. We just observe, observe, observe. We search, we search, we research. And eventually, things start to make sense. Things start to become clear. 
We're doing these optical outreaches. We did three or four of them, and at first we didn't really know what we were doing. Eventually you start to get a hang of it, right? Which is clear, which is clear. And then you can tell, they, even if there's a language barrier, when you get the right prescription on uh, their nose, like their whole face changes. Huge smile. Their eyes are wide, and it's like, this is the one. Now I can see clearly. It really matters what lens you are viewing the world through. And when it comes to faith, when it comes to the questions and doubts that we have, it really matters what is that lens through which we are observing everything and, and thinking about God and thinking about faith. One of my favorite biblical characters is John the Baptist, a great man of faith. I mean, he, calling people, repent of your sins and be baptized, and huge crowds are coming to the Jordan River to be baptized, and they're wondering, is John maybe the one that we've been waiting for? Is he maybe the Messiah? And he keeps saying, no, I'm just preparing the way. The one who's going to come after me is much greater. He's the one you need to follow. I must become less. Jesus must become more. Great man of faith, and it gets him in trouble because he doesn't back down to anyone, not even the king, and so he says some things that upset the king. The king throws John the Baptist in prison, and He's in prison awaiting his execution, and this great man of faith becomes a great man of doubt. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 11. As he's facing his execution, he starts to have questions, starts to wonder, have I been looking at Jesus through the wrong lens? And so he sends a couple of his disciples to go to Jesus and to ask, are you really the one? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Have we been looking at Jesus through the wrong lens? And Jesus doesn't get angry at John's sudden turn, his doubts and his questions. Jesus says to his disciples, John's disciples, go back and tell John everything that you've seen and heard. Tell him everything that you've seen and heard. The blind can see. The lame can walk. The... uh, Good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, Jesus says, if you want to know what's the lens through which to observe everything and to think about everything, Jesus is the lens. What do you see? What do you observe? What do you hear? What do you experience when you do it through the lens of the life, the teaching, the love of this man, Jesus Christ? We went to a small group. We'll put a picture of it up on the screen. One of the churches we visited is trying to get small group ministry going. And so this particular small group meets on Thursday nights in the middle of nowhere in Africa. I mean, most people had to walk there. We drove there, and our vehicles could barely make it. And once we got there, there's no electricity in this room, and the windows are cracked, and there's mosquitoes and bugs flying around, and there's no PowerPoint, and there's no video clips. It's just a group of people with the Bible trying to figure out who God is. Let's read this verse together from Jeremiah chapter 29. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And so here's a group of people looking wholeheartedly for God, trying to find God. You're here at a worship service. Part of what that means. You are looking. You are searching for God. Maybe you came with doubts. Maybe you came with questions. That's great. That's fine. This is the place to bring your questions. Bring them to Jesus and filter them all through that lens of who he is. One of the things you discover, God's not trying to hide from us. God's not trying to make it difficult for us. God wants to be found by us. God wants us to know him. Faith is a very relational thing biblically. Jesus says, I want you to know who I am. God becomes a human being so that we can know who God is. 
One of the people that knew God really well through Jesus is his disciple John, who writes much of the New Testament. And if you were to ask John, why are you writing this? He's more than happy to tell you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John writes, my purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. The reality and not the illusion. When you're looking through the wrong lens, everything becomes an illusion or a, a funhouse mirror kind of distortion, right? God wants us to know the reality of eternal life. Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know God relationally, to know Jesus relationally. Faith is all about a relationship of love. Think about Luke's friend Theophilus. That word name, Theophilus, comes from two Greek words, Theos, which means God, and Philios, which is one of the Greek words for love. It's where we get Philadelphia. Theophilus literally means God love. God love. That's what the Christian faith is all about. There is a God who loves you, wants to fill you with that love so that you can love God in return, love the world in return. And I think that's mostly what mission trips are about. It's not about seeing miraculous signs and wonders. It's about experiencing and seeing God's love and life-changing deeper, stronger, beyond our current reality kinds of ways. So one of the highlights of Mission South Africa is going to the Del Kramer Center. And it's this after-school program uh, that they, they ask the schools in the community, who are the students who are performing the poorest? Low test scores, all that sort of stuff. And they got 100 of them to come to this uh, after-school program. One of the reasons they're not performing well is they're starving. They don't have consistent source of food. And so a big part of this uh, after-school program is the feeding program. Uh, meals from the Heartland is the primary source of those meals. They also have a farm. They're trying to create a sustainable way to uh, feed these kids. And so we helped harvest cabbages, and that was one of the things we did. But there's hundreds of these plates from Meals from the Heartland, and they give them to the, the students. Some of them are three years old. Some of them are teenagers. And they just sit down, and they ran out of spoons, and it, they didn't care. They're just chowing down. And part of you is like uh, filled with gratitude and joy that you can help out. And then there's another part of you, your heart's just getting ripped out that this is the reality of people on, on this earth. After they're done eating, it's the opportunity to play with them. Uh, for Vacation Bible School last summer, we, our mission project was bring books for Mission South Africa. And our kids donated over 2,000 books. We took them and we're starting a literacy program uh, so that they can enjoy reading and so that that will help their test scores and so it will give them opportunities, a future, and a hope. And a big part of what you do is you just build relationships with those kids, whether it's playing soccer or talking to them or whatever. Here's Kathy Miller, who was on uh, the trip, hugging a 15-year-old girl named Gabriella. And Gabriella has quite a story. Uh, her father died before she was born. And then when her mother went into labor, there were complications. And the doctor said to Gabriella's mother, we can't save both of you. It's either the mom or the baby. And so Gabriella's mother said, do whatever it takes to save my baby. And then she wrote a letter to Gabriella. It's a letter Gabriella still has and she'll have for the rest of her life, don't you think? In that letter, her mother says to her daughter, who she will never know, who she will never see, who she will never meet, I just want you to know how much I love you. And it's my great love for you that makes me willing to lay down my life so that you can live. And at the end of the letter, Gabriella's mother said, I just want you to know, I think God has big plans in store for your life, Gabriella. 
And so it's no wonder that Kathy falls in love with her instantly with a story like that. But it was even more than the story. Gabrielle is this young woman with, I don't know, confidence and joy. You can just see it in her and a strong, deep faith. And so Kathy called her son, Nate, who was also on the trip to come over, wanted to introduce Nate to Gabriella. But right then, the jerky American pastor who was leading the mission trip said, everybody say goodbye and get on the bus. We've got to go to our next stop. Our next stop was a tent meeting. They were having, uh, there's a church called the Lighthouse Church that meets on the Del Kramer campus, and they were having tent revival meetings in the backyard of somebody's house in that neighborhood. Just set up a tent, uh, put up a band, started playing really loud music. In Africa, <laughs> they have speakers that don't really work, and then they just crank it as loud as it can possibly go. It is, uh, and they don't hand out earplugs. Anyway, um, so Nate and Kathy said to Gabriella, you should come to the tent meeting, and she came. And at the end of that service, as we were getting back on the bus, I looked out the window, and there's Nate and Kathy with their foreheads on Gabriella's forehead praying for her. And they got back on the bus. Nate sat down next to me, shaking his head, tears in his eyes, and he just goes, I don't get it. I don't get how anyone could meet a person like Gabriella and the things that she's experienced and has had to go through in her life and witness her faith in God, how could anyone see that and think there is no God and have doubts and have questions about God's love for us? But of course we do, don't we? We're always going to have doubt. I don't think we will have a faith beyond a doubt this side of heaven. That's why it's faith, because there's a part of it that means I just don't know, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to have faith no matter what. I want to turn it over to our guest preacher, Trevor Riedemann, one more time. How can we have a faith without a doubt? Take a listen. In science, one, art, one paper doesn't necessarily turn the direction of the thinking of science. A hundred papers starts to turn the direction. A thousand papers that all point to this is the answer starts turning that view of science. So even when it comes to faith, well, I haven't had any experiences. Okay, are you seeking them? Are you participating? You know, over time, over time, again and again, then I think it builds for most people. Coming from a science background, I believe you should always test things out. That's the only way to learn something, really. Can I play guitar? I don't know until I pick up a guitar and try to learn to play guitar. Is God real? I don't know until I start to explore whether or not things out there like the Bible ring true. You know, is this real? Start doing your own investigation. Read the things. Read the atheists' manuals. Read the Bible. Read other spiritual things. Read academic works on it. But again, until you actually start exploring, you'll never, you'll never know. If it's all about the material world, it's a mechanism. We can understand it with equations and map it out. What's the point? I'm just here, I live, I, 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 I die, end of story. There's no hope there, there's no redemption there, there's no real meaning there other than you existed. That doesn't feel right, there's, that doesn't sit, sit well with me, there's, there's got to be more to it. So I, I think it's a failure of, of your imagination if you can't say there's something more to this than just that. My dad passed away a number of years ago, five years ago, uh, this October. 
and got two other siblings. They voted me to give the eulogy. So the story I shared about my dad was not something he did for me, but something he did for my wife, who had been in a car accident with our daughter. A couple months earlier, she ended up in the hospital for a day, a concussion. Luckily, my daughter was, was fine. We go to visit my parents, uh, get there late at night. So my dad didn't see, see her till, till late. He comes into the kitchen where we're sitting and talking with my mother. And the first thing he says to her is, oh, I'm glad you're all right. He walks up behind her, leans over her, and kisses her on the top of the head. The look on my wife's face was stunned and tears started forming in her eyes because that wasn't even a sentiment her own dad had expressed to her after the accident. And so the point in the eulogy was, here's your model of an adoptive love. This is my wife, not a blood member of the family, but he is right then and there with that kiss, said, you are fully a member of my family. You're my daughter too. I love you. When it comes to faith, there are a lot of questions we can ask. When, where, why, how? I think the most important question is who? Who is this God I'm asking you to consider putting your faith in? And do I believe that there is a God who has this sacrificial, adoptive love for me?